Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. act black and then go home and be white it only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average negro and a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense welcome back to the afrocentric podcast we are about six months into this podcasting journey and I felt like it was appropriate to give you guys a better understanding of who I am like who I am as well as to build some rapport and some credibility so I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to view my life through a lens of activism and to give y'all a little background about what I've done as well as to give you like an understanding as to why I've created this podcast and what it really means to me. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was my childhood. Um, For those who do not know, my name is Morgan Gray. I'm 25 years old and I live in Mississippi. I was born and raised in Mississippi. Um, I'm black. I come from a long line of black people. My grandfather um, was a sharecropper in Mississippi. Um, He actually had to drop out of school in the eighth grade to help his family with the business. And he never got an opportunity to receive his full education. Um, Later on, he had my mom. And my mom is the second youngest, and she went to school. She had the privilege of going to high school, but she also did not get the opportunity to go to college. So that leaves me, and I am a first-generational college student, and that means the world to me just because, number one, I didn't know this opportunity was available to me. Um Growing up in Mississippi, I've always been known for being extremely smart, even as a young child. When I was in school, of course, we took AP accelerated classes, da-da-da-da-da. I did ROTC, Army ROTC, JROTC in high school. I also did ROTC in college for two years. Um, I ended up becoming my battalion's command sergeant major, which is like the third highest ranking Mm -hmm. officer in the battalion, highest ranked female. Um, I'm sharing this with you because when I was at my senior year in college, I was at a crossroads. Um, I was intelligent. I won so many awards for writing, for leadership, 
but the people, the adults in my life did not think that I was capable enough to go to college. Um, in fact, many of them deterred me from going to college because they thought that I was going to get pregnant my first years of college and um, ultimately fail. So I was influenced to join the military like straight out of high school. Um, in January of 2015, um, I applied for the military. I took my ASVAB. I made, um, I want to say a 51 on it. I took the ASVAB when I was in the 10th grade. And for those who don't know, that's the military testing application to see like how smart you are and what positions you would be put into if you were to join the military and anything above like I want to say a 50 you get like a $10,000 signing bonus the average of ASVAB scores in Starkville is a 14 yeah um by the time majority of my friends they probably made 21s on their ASVABs. That's enough to be able to get into the National Guard. I know a few people who made fives and tens on the ASVAB, but I made a 51 on my first try. So I had military recruiters calling me from every which way, Army, Navy, Marines. You know, the list goes on. Fortunately, I was fat. <laughs> um, I've been fat my whole life. So I when I when I joined and I tried to get in and stuff, I could not lose weight in time. They used to tape me and measure me. I didn't lose um enough weight in time in order to go get sworn in. And um I just didn't I didn't go. So after that. Um, I was living with my auntie and my uncle for a while, and they told me since I could not get into the military, it would be smart that I would go to Mississippi State University and join the JR, the ROTC program there. And that is what I intended to do. I was only allowed to apply for one school upon applying for colleges because we didn't know I was going to go to college. No one had ever talked to me about college. No one had talked to my family really about college. So uh, my mama um, told me to apply for Mississippi State. I got in and I joined the ROTC program um, as soon as my arrival. So that is a short synopsis. I also want to say that growing up, I did not grow up pro-Black. Like I understood that I was Black but it wasn't something that was really just taught in the household for to me. I never really just had these huge conversations with my parents about race or racism or sexism. Um, my mama didn't even like watching like slavery movies growing up, like The Color Purple or Roots. To this day, I still not have watched Roots. Um, and I don't feel bad about it. And this one thing I do accredit my mom to is like watching movies like that and like paying attention to black struggle um Hollywood makes a lot of money off of black struggle and you know we don't contribute to that because we've come so far to it so I really did not learn a lot about what blackness meant to me I did not learn about advocacy until I got to college but I'm grateful for the footing that I had um 
as a child, the foundation in my family laid for me because it gave me the opportunity to build my own character. And I'm just proud of it, you know? Biggest obstacle you've had to go through growing up? Girl, what is an obstacle? I know that's right. What is that? <laughs> so basically like anything that you really had to overcome, like a hardship that you had to overcome to be where you basically- It's not, it's not, but that's that's a trick question because I'm not the one who had the, the problem with the obstacles. It was these holes. They didn't, they can't overcome me. That'd be the problem, I, I'm the threat. So it, it's not, it's, I ain't had no obstacles. It's, it's these holes, they still can't take a bitch like me. Like I'm just, I'm just fly, I'm just up there. I'm like the dove that they, they let out when people die, you feel me? They let out and fly. I'm that girl, cause these bitches is dead when I come through. That, that, that'd be the problem right there. And that's, that's, that's what we, in geometry, that's what we need to understand right there. That's the problem. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, we need to go back to geometry and help these bitches understand that I'm that dove that fly cause they dead. Yeah, so that's the only obstacles that they got. I ain't got no obstacles. That's, ooh, I know that's right. I ain't got no obstacles. I don't even know what that means. Obstacles, baby, obstacles. What is that? That sounds like some type of shit, like people gotta jump and climb and flip over. Uh-uh, I don't, I, I ain't jumping through no loops. I'm that girl, I wear heels. These bitches be jumping through loops trying to keep up with me. That's why they got their track sneaks on and still can't fuck with a bitch. That's that's the fucking problem. That's why they got their track sneaks on and still can't fuck with a bitch. Obstacles. What is obstacles? <laughs> mm -mm. Mm -mm. As an undergraduate student, I went to Mississippi State University again. Um, I'm from the city that Mississippi State is located in, and a lot of people did not want to go to a university or college in their state, but again, in their city, but again, I didn't really have the opportunity to be able to pick and choose, so I went. And honestly, I'm not mad about it. I really enjoyed the time that I spent at Mississippi State. A lot of my classmates from the high school that I went to did not go to state, and if they did go to state, it was years after um, I joined. So being on Mississippi State College campus was an oasis for me. It was a home away from home, and I really started to develop my own personality, my own character, my own thoughts and ideas. Um, when I first got to state in 2015, I lived in Rice Hall. So Rice Hall was and still is the oldest dormitory on campus. And I'll say this, my auntie, she went to Mississippi State in the 1970s on a basketball scholarship. She lived in Rice Hall. Um, seven flows, seven flows of hoes. I was on the third floor and it was such a great experience. I will say this, um, my freshman year definitely was a tale of two cities. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. I did make a strong community out of it because everyone who lived in Rice Hall was impoverished in some way, form or fashion. And I remember living in Rice and this was again, the winter time of 2015, no, it, the iPhone 7 had came on. Everybody in my building had the four. You know, majority of us did not have laptops. And I will say this, I did not buy my first laptop until 2020. So for the majority of my college career, if I had to get work done, I had to sit in a computer lab. And I was sitting in a computer lab day in, day out doing my work because I didn't have access to anything else.
it was mostly majority black people and it was an open community. So I knew everybody in the building and everybody in the building knew me. Shout out to Rice. And it was just a great experience. We would be in the middle of the hallways, doing a lecture slide, dancing. We cooked for each other. We did Super Bowl parties. We we did a whole bunch of stuff. And um, to this day, I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that I lived in Rice Hall with. Now, as far as my formal education, um, a lot of people remember me for my fashion. I started off at Mississippi State University as a fashion design merchandising major, and I just knew it was my calling. I just knew it off the top of my head. Um, and I will say that it was not my calling. I, I, I was a fashion design and merchandising major with an emphasis on design for four years. And every year was harder and harder. I didn't have the money to be able to be as successful as I would like to be. So as a fashion designer, merchandising major, we didn't really buy books or I couldn't afford books. So I didn't buy books. What we bought instead were materials for fashion. So I would be buying uh, yards of fabric, scissors, all types of stuff. And I was also working. There were times while I was in undergrad, I would be working two jobs. I was time in undergrad where I was working three jobs. And oftentimes I didn't have no car. I didn't get my first car until 2019. So I went my whole first four years of undergrad without a vehicle as well. So as you can see, I was struggling pretty bad. Um, and I didn't have the money. And I also did not have the support that most college students had. Um, again, because I was first generation, my immediate family did not have a really good understanding of what college life is like. They sent me up there to do my job. My job was to get my grades done, but it's so much more involved into, you know, going to school and being the best that you could do. So I also had a lot of issues with my professor. I had one professor in the department that really did not like me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I still pray to this day that she keeps tabs on me and see how well I'm doing now. But um, it, an end result was that um, she was complaining a lot about the way that I dressed or that my work wasn't good. But I, because I didn't have the money, I did not have the I didn't have the funds to be able to support the lifestyle that many of my classmates did. They came to school dressed nice every day. Um, they had enough money to be able to invest in nice fabrics and stuff. I did not, nor did I have like transportation to be able to go and access this nice stuff. So and she was reporting me to the dean of my college and my dean, the dean of my college, actually, his wife worked with my mom and they was telling my mama that I was struggling and doing this Y and Z. And I was telling the dean in the university that um, I felt very picked on by this professor. He told me that um, if I didn't get my act together, he was going to suggest that I change my major or I join another fashion design merchandising program in another um, college. So um, I quit. <laughs> I definitely did. And it took a lot of strength to change my major. And it was, you know, I was right around the corner from graduating, but 
Um, I've heard a lot of success stories of people who changed directions in crunch time and they were successful. And this is definitely um, one of those stories. So I ended up changing my major my senior year in college to become a history major. Um, and I feel like for the people who felt like they knew me, that was such a shocking idea for me to do just because I was known for my fashion. I had finally gotten to the point where I was running my own blog on plus size fashion, plus size clothing. I was modeling. I was traveling across the South to different states to take pictures with different photographers. Um, I was being interviewed for different blogs and stuff like that. And um, when I changed my major, it was almost like quitting all of that. So I had made a conscious decision to continue to do my blog, to continue to integrate fashion into whatever I decided to do because there was a large part of me, but it would not be the focal part of my life. And I changed my major to history because when I reflected on my school experience, I realized that I had the highest grades in history. And in fact, when I was in high school, I learned, I remember that I took a lot of accelerated classes, a lot of AP classes, and I always excelled in history. So it was kind of a no brainer for me. So, um, that was the fall, I want to say, of 2019. And then the spring semester 2019, I changed my major. And um, it was not easy when I first did it because I needed to become acclimated to the environment, understanding I had to develop a different set of study habits. But ultimately, it was the greatest decision I ever made in my life. Um, being in school for history, I had a minor in African-American studies. At one point I had a minor in French. I've been learning French for the last 10 years. Um, it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. And I love the fact that I have a degree in history because I feel like I know a little of a lot of bit about everything because history covers a lot of bases. Um, when I got into the program, the only thing I truly did not like was my advisor, just because my advisor in the fashion design and merchandising department, he really cared about my well-being. He would check on me. He would give me advice. He gave me space to be able to come into his office and cry. And when I changed my major, my advisor, he never remembered my name, which is really strange because I was the only one of the few African-American women within the department, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I just, I just learned a lot. I didn't just, I learned that while I was in the department, the only thing that really, really kept my, 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 my attention were any classes that surrounded African-American history because duh, that's a no brainer. Um, I would get into these classes and I had to learn, like I said, different study habits. So that where when I was a fashion major, I could sit in the back of the class and just talk and da 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 da. I couldn't do that as a history major. I had to learn to sit in the front of seat in every class so I wouldn't get distracted because I will get distracted. Um, I had to learn how to take notes. I had a professor that actually taught us how to take notes very well, and I've adopted her process. And I I take notes for everything now. Any organization I'm in, I just feel more comfortable if I take notes. Um, I fell in love with writing, and I feel like that should be reflected in my blog because writing is um, an amazing outlet for me. But that's where I started developing the passion to be able to read different works and analyze them. 
and see myself within them. The thing that I love about history the most is, is that truly, I feel like you can believe whatever you want in history as long as you can back that shit up. Like, as long as you can find accurate documentation to prove your perspective and you can adequately articulate your thoughts, then that is that is history. And another thing that I love about history is the fact, well, I'm not going to say I love it, but we all understand that history is written by the victors. History is written by white people who won, the white people who had access to um, the media at that time. So the, um, what is it? The book press, um, anyone, like if you won award of whoever put out the information first was the winners. So there are large gaps in history that have not been recorded. There are perspectives in history that have never been written down. And as an African-American woman, there is little to no, you know, mention of our demographic, our collective demographic. So that's why we need more black women, black people within the major, but learning about the intersection, it gives me a lot of room to be able to write and to see things differently, to argue different points and perspectives. And honestly, history, if you want to get in a class and just talk, all of my history courses were me and my classmates just arguing all day like yeah some professors in history they would just talk some historian a lot of historians are um very boring very monochromatic but they do give you space for discussion and that is what that's what's lively if you want to just take some frustration out and argue with some dumbass white people that is a great outlet for you so um yeah and i was grateful for that because the stuff that i learned really it ties into any and everything if i decide to do anything i will have at least a little bit of knowledge like i have an un amazing understanding of the holocaust uh, an amazing understanding of uh, south america amazing understanding of africa and the relations from africa after colonization great understanding of the middle passage because i've taken separate courses on all these different things and I actually sat down and paid attention and took notes and recorded lectures but it took me eight years to be able to figure out this formula and for a long time I was really ashamed because um by the time I had changed my major my sister had um got to Mississippi State so me and my sister were both in college at the same time and I felt really bad because I wasn't where what society would have considered me to be but I had this opportunity to be able to change my life. So I took it and I made the most out of it and I freaked it. And I'm just really proud of myself. And I pushed myself to the limits with writing. And I only wanted to write about black women, black people, black movements that were positive, that demonstrated the strength of our community and did not focus on the destruction. So um, I fell in love with the black power movement. Um, I fell in love with the civil rights movement uh, and the Harlem Renaissance movement, like my black is beautiful movement. All these different things that happened where black people took pride in what they did and maximized it and created different types of thoughts of logic. That is what really interests me. I, I have no interest in slavery. Um, but I do have a great understanding of enslavement. But if I had never 
started on this journey the way that it would, I would never be here. So again, I'm truly grateful for my undergraduate experience. I graduated in 2022. I graduated this year. I graduated in May. Um, great, 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 great time. Um, Again, very proud of myself just because I started off first. My sister graduated a day before me, so we both got up out of there at the same time. Very lively experience. You know, not too many people can say that they shared an experience of graduating with their sister. And my sister just so happens to be my best friend. So I'm glad that I got to share that experience with her as well because me and my sister was on campus networking. Um, you know, I put my sister on to a lot of stuff because I had been around for so long and vice versa. She put me on to a lot of stuff, too. So when we got up there, we maximized our opportunities. And every day I woke up trying to get over on a white man. I'm trying to figure out what ways me and my sister can come up with some free money, free resources. So don't ask for no handouts and steal from white people. So while we were focusing on the academic half of my undergrad research, I was also doing a lot of community uplift, community service, and um, working. So I will say this. When I first got to college, again, I didn't know too much about my heritage. And I just so happened to stumble across this girl whose name is also Morgan. So shout out to you, Morgan. She was the president of uh, SAS, which is the Society of African-American Studies here at Mississippi State University. And it's directly correlated to the African-American studies program at the state, at Mississippi State. So... I would go to these SAS meetings and I would hear this girl just talk. And I was so in awe of the way that she was able to accurately communicate her thoughts and quickly have these very smart and witty responses. And she knew her history so well. And that was in so many ways, the blueprint for me, because I knew where I was and I was not in the greatest place, but I knew where I wanted to go. So that was something that I was involved in. And that was one of the first leadership positions that I was involved in um, at Mississippi State. I was a hostess for SAS for about two years. Um, I also, like I said, did the ROTC program. So I'm, I'm um, <laughs> fun fact, I am cannon certified. I'm certified to shoot cannons for the... ROTC department, I guess. I used to shoot cannons during the football games. That's why I'm so hard at hearing because I was staying too close to the cannon when they was letting shit go off. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, So the first protest that I attended was also in 2015. When I was a freshman in college, Mississippi State still had the old Mississippi State flag up. So for those who do not live in Mississippi or America, uh, Mississippi, the Mississippi state flag was the flag of America with the 13 red and white stripes going down. But instead of in the top left hand corner of having 50 stars and shit, 
they had the Confederate battle flag in the top corner. And it was during a time where everybody was striking to move the flag. But Mississippi State just wanted to hold on to their goddamn flag for so long. So a lot of us at uh, the university came together and we did a sit-in. And that was the first, my first real form of activism. And Mississippi State is a predominantly white institution. There was about 13% of African-Americans on the campus and the rest of them were mostly white or Asian. There are not a lot of Latino students there at the university. Shout out to LSA. Shout out to all the Hispanic friends that I've made on this journey. Shout out to Stacy. Um, I remember we marched to the drill field which is in the central part of the campus and we all sat in front of lee hall we all sat in front of um the president the president's office and we sat on the steps and for those who've never visited the campus there are a huge amount of steps and there were probably 500 of us sitting out there we didn't say anything like to anybody we were just protesting this flag because it's, it's it's an eyesore it hurts to be able to you go to this college and this university and you see the confederate flag mocking you every day and no white people on campus they can do any and everything that they wanted to do so we just sat there you know no justice no peace and I, that was one of the first times i really did one of the first times i did encounter racism because while we were sitting out there don't white folks show they ass they were throwing cups of water on us, cups of ice. They was calling us niggers. They was doing in and everything to deter us. But after that protest, I bet they heard us. Um, that protest was conduct conducted in the wintertime. And that summer, Mississippi State, quote unquote, silently removed this Mississippi State flag from off of the campus. And there's something that I'll never forget, Mark Keenum, because I our safety, the way that we felt should have been put first. That flag, it don't re resemble anything but hatred. But I digress. That was one of the first protests that I participated in. Um, after 2015, I did a lot of stuff. Uh, I worked um, on a lot of executive boards throughout my years. Um, we started an organization for Black fashion um, interests. I was, um, we, we started an organization that I really don't want to talk about it too much, but it was a great idea. It just didn't have the lackluster to be able to have that longevity that we wanted. Towards that year where I decided to change my major from fashion design and merchandising to history, I applied to join this organization called Ideal Woman. Um, IDEAL stands for Intelligent, Dignified, Elegant, Ambitious Leaders. And it was created by my mentor, Miss um, Rashida Body Forbes, Rashida the Body, shout out. Um, and essentially, it's an amazing organization to help Black women or women of color to be able to be completely ready for the next stage of their life after they graduate to be business savvy to be able to articulate and navigate white spaces throughout the world um uh, they interviewed me 
and I had some heavy hitters interviewing me and they really enjoyed me. And yeah, I created a lot of my success to that organization because they got me right. I remember we went to our first general body meeting and I I had no I had no business clothes. All the clothes I had came from the thrift store. I had on this uh, floral blazer and like some skinny jeans and a pin. And I thought I was eating much, 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 much and was not. I looked like a fool. I know a lot of people were probably talking about me, but I did the best that I could do with what I had. And I don't know. I just started to work. We did community service every other week. We came together and we talked and we bonded and I made some amazing friends just in the first year and um again i'm so grateful for that because my friends that i made from ideal we all support each other like I, you know i support you you support me and there's something that i really cling to because i never really had that um um <laughs> I nominated myself to become the historian and then um, one of my homegirls, Erica Davis, shout out to you, Erica. She also nominated me for the historian position and it was because she believed in me. And ironically enough, she probably believed in me more than I believed in myself because my reputation was so assed out. People were so... They they didn't want me to join the executive board and I let their peer pressure really get to me. They didn't think I was professional enough. And at that time, I wasn't. But, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity that they gave me. In fact, the day that I was supposed to run for the position of historian, I had actually psyched myself out of doing it. I was like, you know, I'm going to throw it to the person who's running against me just because I don't feel like I deserve this position. And, you know, that is imposter syndrome because looking back on it, I'm more than deserve. I'm more than deserving of that position. But all I, need, all I needed was to believe in myself. So the day we were supposed to vote, vote for that position, I came in thinking that I was going to turn it down and hand it over to the person I was running up against. And I saw this girl giving a speech. She was campaigning for her own position on the executive board, and it was so pitiful. It was really shitty. And I was listening to her speech, and I was like, damn, if that's what she's doing, I could do better than that. <laughs> and I got up there, and I did better than that. And I won. I won by a landslide, and um, that's something I do hold dearly to my heart. And I took the historian position, which was a very minute position. It was very small, and I freaked it. I made it a lot of fun. I came up with a lot of ideas. I made a lot of friends in different organizations within Mississippi State, and I'm grateful for their first position. And I, then the next year, I got nominated for vice president, and then I won that position. The general theme of my life during this period is to consider the subtle truths that give my life dimension and meaning. My main challenge is to question how far I have come in an effort to fulfill my, my ideals and identify the changes I should make. Now, I currently serve as the Vice President of the Homes Cultural Diversity Center's Ideal Woman. Our organization is composed of women who value academic excellence, professional growth, leadership, womanhood, and community service. Our goal is not only to succeed in all endeavors, but to excel above the typical expectations of the norm. 
encourage and motivate women to establish and use leadership leadership skills that will not only enhance themselves, but the individuals they may come in contact with. I devote my life to giving back to the community and aiding those who need it. Um, like I said, we did a lot of work. It was a lot of work. We was constantly rolling, giving back to the community, uplifting black women, uplifting black men, making sure that everybody felt comfortable. That, that is what we did. And I learned so much. We went through interviews. I'm not going to say that taught me how to interview. I definitely learned how to dress. I figured out what it is that I needed to wear. I got more comfortable speaking in front of people. I got more comfortable with leadership positions as well as planning. And um, I guess that kind of helped me get to where I am today. Um, after my vice presidency, uh it was automatic that I became president after that, but there was a lot of backlash about whether or not people felt like um, it was professional. If I was professional enough to run as be the president of HCDC Ideal Woman. And um, to this day, that really does hurt my soul because I felt like I had showed my worth. I showed, you know, how much I cared and I gave. But nonetheless, I did end up becoming the president of the organization and it was during uh the spring of 2020 when COVID first hit and it was such an impossible position so it wasn't just me it was also Sam so shout out to you Sam King who was the president of our brother organization men of excellence also known as Mox and um we were innovative and creative, I, you know, and I know I definitely was. Um, my executive board, they worked really hard. And that leads me to my second experience of advocacy. So I have already told the story about um, the first time I actually spoke at a protest, which was also in the um, towards the summer of 2020 when George Floyd died and you know, we got in front of a church and told the pastor he was wrong and I didn't agree. And you know what's so funny is that in 2020, I was just minding my business. I just wanted to get out and I just wanted to protest. I wanted to tell people that, you know, the killings of African-American people by the police were unjust. I was not looking for clout. I was not looking for clout. I got into a church and I was with Yolanda. Yolanda took me to the church every week. We went up there to start some good trouble. And I remember um, sitting in a pew with a mask on. We were shoulder to shoulder, opening up a tithing envelope, ripping that bitch in half, and just taking notes. Because like I told you, that's all I do. Because I was hearing something from the pastor and um, he was talking so fast and my brain knew I didn't like it, but I couldn't correlate my thoughts. So I started writing down notes. And before I knew it, I was telling that man he was wrong. And the craziest thing about that whole interaction of me um, objecting in front of a room of 300 people in the middle of COVID and being a black woman and telling another man who was a flock of a whole church that he wrong is the fact that Many of the people that I was to come in contact with in the future of my life were sitting in that room. Um, 
at least five professors that I ended up taking classes with in my history major was sitting in that room and I had no clue. In fact, one of my professors was actually sitting on my joint committee. They put me over a media and press release. And one of the ladies sitting on my um on my team, her name was Julia. She was a white woman. Turned out a semester later, she she was my professor at Mississippi State University. Do you know how ironic stuff like that is? So that's why I'm so glad, like I said, for that foundation to be able to go back and like communicate with people, not to be pompous, not to have this big head and to keep like good relationships because you never know where you're going to meet these people. So um, it was around that time where we were objecting. We was telling people we didn't agree with shit in front of the church. Then the next day they brought the news, Channel 4, Channel 25, Channel 45, Channel 27. You know, they was all there. We were still telling people no. And by that time, um, it was a lot more people there in uh, agreement, agreeance with me. So um, that is when I first met Jayla Douglas because Jayla Douglas spearheaded the entire campaign. I was just there to, I guess, advocate for those who I felt like were unjust. And that's how I met her. And we are still great pals to this day. I'm so grateful for Jayla just because her mindset when it comes to blackness and being black and standing in her blackness is something so completely different. And I'm so appreciative of that. Um, we ended up in this day having and being invited. Well, no, nah, because me and Yolanda, baby, let me tell you about Lon. We pulled up. We was in the, uh, and this is all about advocacy. We pulled up to the courtroom, the, what is it? Alderman's meetings, mayor meetings, everybody, the chairs was six feet apart. And it, the room was packed and we was all in there telling everybody we didn't agree with this. We didn't agree with that. And I used my voice. And, you know, <laughs> I feel like me advocating for other people shocks other people because they've never met anyone as loud as I am. But I've been in so many different positions where I didn't have anyone to advocate for me. And I wanted to be able to, I wanted someone to be able to stand up for me, but I didn't. So I had to learn how to stand up for myself. So I learned how to advocate for other people. So, you know, as time progressed throughout that week, we got invited to a lot of more private meetings. So it got to a point where I was invited to, uh, a private meeting with the mayor of Mississippi, the mayor of the town that I live in, the dean of students at Mississippi State, the director of diversity and inclusion, the chief of police at the time, one of the Black Panthers, uh, one of the generals, the main guys uh, of the new Black Panther Party. There were so many important people there. And then my ass, I'm just sitting up there and um, we're going over different routes to take. We're going over different ways to come up with protests. Y'all had to know that I was giving them folks sass and I was showing my ass. Like, 
I'm the type of person that if I feel some type of way, I'm going to double down on it and stand on it. And people think I'm mean for that, but I just know my worth and I know what I will and won't tolerate. And I also feel that way for my people. I know the worth of my people and I know what we will and won't tolerate. And I also would never put people in a position of harm. One of the things we argued the most about was the idea that the pastor wanted to have a protest on the west side of Starkville. And the West Side is all black, impoverished black people. My grandma lived down there. My family lives down there. And we've seen so many different cases where people would start protesting and people would start looting. They were trashing places, trashing buildings, setting buildings on fire. So tell me why in the world would you want to get up and, and put put black communities impoverished communities in places where they could be harmed or possibly lose lose everything and you know the community does not have the type of money to replace the things that are lost because majority of those houses are section eight houses why would you put that them in that position to be harmed and lose everything so i always argue for i protest to be taken to a different location so that is how we ended up getting to this point where we everyone marched from Main Street to Mississippi State campus and they actually ended up having the protest at the amphitheater. So after this meeting, um, they asked me if I wanted to speak at the protest and I told them yes. And they asked me and I asked them if I could do a demonstration because I didn't want to give a speech. I'm an interactive person. So they, they allowed me to do a demonstration. So in 2020, um, I led a demonstration with over 3000 people where I asked the audience members to lay on their stomachs and put their hands behind their back and lay there silently as I recited George Floyd's final words. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. They gonna kill me. They gonna kill me. you ate that and good god it had to have been the hottest day it was the hottest day on record and i feel so bad because i had little kids grown folks the elderly laying on their stomach these folks was crying y'all i practiced the whole night I practiced the whole night. I wrote up my demonstration, found the words, wrote up the introduction and everything. And I just, I, you know, when it was time, it was time. And we just went ahead and we did it. And you could hear the people screaming. You could hear the people on the ground crying. They really felt it. And, you know, there was a, that is a moment that I'll never forget. But we also did background work. And like I said, 
Ideal Woman was the only student-led organization out there. My executive board, my Ideal Woman members, they were out there. And my organization was the only organization that passed out water. You know, we donated water and popsicles to make sure people didn't get dehydrated. Nobody else thought about that. So we were just very, just interactive in the community. And it's something that I'm so proud of. Um, The final, the last time I, I spoke in another protest, well, after, after that whole debacle with the George Floyd thing, it really took a toll on me with my mental health because the deaths and the killings, they just did not stop. Um, the next death I solely remember was the um, death of Elijah McClain, Ashe, and he was my age and he had a mental disability and they just killed that poor baby and i just remember i was sitting on the toilet because that's where i'm always at when i find out about stuff when i first seen the video of george floyd being killed i was sitting on the toilet and one day i woke up and i was on twitter and i seen that elijah mcclain video i was sitting on the toilet just crying and it just took such an emotional toll on my body just because I'm an empath. I feel the pain of other people and it just hurt. Never met neither one of these people before in my life, but you can only imagine the stuff that people are going through, especially during that time. So after that, we really got to work, especially with my organization being mindful and being purposeful with the content and stuff that we produce on social media. So shout out to you, Tanasia Stennis, because you still did an amazing job with that. Um, we plan so many different events just for our girls, for our organization, to be able to have conversations with the police and start via the police officers on Mississippi State campus as well as the Sheriff's County. And we did that with the help of Men of Excellence. Um, Black History Month that year, we were speaking at every single event, you know, I believe white people have a hard time finding other black people to speak at events like that. They had majority of their members there. I feel like they didn't like me when I had came up there that day because I I ripped them white women and write me in a new one. I showed it. I told them that, um, you know, we weren't responsible for their white tears. We didn't care about their fragility. And <laughs> um, they was not living for me, but I know I did what I needed to do. And then then next year, um, in April, right before my the day after my birthday, um, we I ended up getting invited to speak at another protest that was solely dedicated for black women. Tame us and allow us to put us in a place that made them feel more comfortable. And guess what? Black men they bought into it. They souped up anti-black women rhetoric and everything else that remind them about their own oppressive state, and then they projected it onto us. It's not all of y'all, but it's a lot of y'all. And this rhetoric is repeated by all types of black men who only see us as black people without gendered experiences. And then we should also go after and cater us in the face of all black male issues. And this is so unfortunate because even in the highest stages of societies, black women are trivialized. 
They are trivialized on a spectrum of being too loud for rooms that were never meant to hear them, expecting too much from a society designed to never give them anything, being anything but undesirable to listen to, to care for, or to love. Now, to these bouts of domestic violence, attempted murders, and kidnappings that never get news covered. And it was in my hometown. And I just, I was just so grateful for the opportunity because out of all the people that could have been doing, like invited, they invited me. So I took that opportunity to write a love letter to black women even though it was probably like three or four black women in the crowd that day. I just wanted to share my love for them just because, you know, I don't feel like black women hear it enough. So I definitely feel like my advocacy experience is different from a lot of people's experience because I'm not a social media advocator. I don't get on Twitter and and talk about all the injustices and argue with people and try to change people's mind no baby i like to get in the streets i like to get active for real and the passion for advocacy has only grown um since that whole year so let's make it full circle so after after my birthday in april my organization Ideal Woman won award for community service, and again, um, that that goes back to my community service chair, Miss Edwards. So, um, shout out to you, Nautica. She did an amazing job with making sure that there there was a lot of community service events, making sure that the women in our organization were given those opportunities to give back, and we won awards for that. So that was amazing. Um, later that year, I ended up winning an award, President of the Year, and it was at least 300 different presidents on the campus. And I won and I beat out every president, including the SA president, the student association president. president who demonstrated outstanding achievement on campus, community and within the organization. The individual has advanced the mission of their student organization while challenging and encouraging the membership to develop new initiatives and acquire new skills while preparing the group for leadership transition and ongoing success. Our nominees for president of the year are Leona Conley of Expiring Minorities and Health Professions, Malin Stratton of Delta Gamma, Morgan Gray of Ideal Woman, Tyler Melvin of Speech and Debate, and Maya Dada of the Clomham Reality Project. Tonight's winner received multiple nominations from their peers. This student was described as kind, hardworking, dedicated, caring, determined, impactful, tenacious, and innovative. Nominators spoke at length about the students' dedication to their organization, peers, and community. One nominator described our winner as a strong and compassionate president who ensured the well-being of their members. This year's President of the Year Award goes to Morgan Gray of Idaho. That's what I'm talking about! That's what I'm talking about, big dog! And, um... It was, it was a very great time. It was a very sad time, but you know, I'm glad that I was awarded for the work that I did because I truly put in the work. 
we truly got active. We got down to business and I made sure that, or at least I tried to make sure that everyone's thoughts and feelings were heard. I tried to make it as interactive and fun as I could. And I'm just grateful for it. Like, honestly, I, I mean, even though it took a toll on me, I'm grateful for the opportunity that it gave me because I learned so much. I learned how to look at life differently. Yeah, and I'm grateful for that. During 2022, I joined the New Black Panther Party. Um, I am a part of the Southern region of the New Black Panther Party, and it encompasses Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, I want to say Georgia, Texas, I want to say Oklahoma. So um, that was probably one of the grandest things I did as far as my advocacy journey. Because as I've told you guys before, I'm so obsessed with um, the idea of Black liberation as well as my interest with the Black Panther Party. Um, You know, some of my largest um, heroes would be like Angela Davis or Asada Shakur. And um, (laughs) this year I was working my internship and I was invited to go to a protest for Emmett Hill. Um, This was around the time before they had found the search warrant to put Carolyn Bryant in jail. So I drove from my hometown to Jackson, Mississippi, and we went down there and protested. I I went by myself, you know. I like to do things. I like to ride and slide. So I went down there, and we marched around the main street. We went in front of uh, the governor's building, and we marched protests. We stopped streets. Peace. We don't get no peace. No peace. No peace. No peace. And while I was down there, I was picking with, I was picking with a few of the Black Panthers. And you know, this wasn't the first time I've been invited to join the Black Panther Party because I was invited in 2020, but I was not sure. And in 2022. Um, I met another group of Black Panthers, and this group is not militant. So before I go on to explain it to you guys, there's a few things that I wanted to talk about. Number one, um, the Black Panther Party, the new Black Panther Party does not hate white people. They more so focus on the love of Black people. If you've ever been to like an NAACP meeting or a BSA meeting or any pro-Black organization and you went in there, you were like, oh, this feels whitewashed or I don't feel like we're doing enough to uplift the community. I will say like being a part of the new Black Panther Party feels the complete opposite. Um, I loved it. I'm in active right now just because of the stuff that I have going on right now with work and school and etc but i do plan on putting strapping my boots up and putting them back on the ground just because being a part of the new black panther party was some of the funnest experiences i have ever had believe it or not um 
I travel all over the state of Mississippi. And like I said, because we encompass such a large area, um, the people who are part of the New Black Panther Party are from all over the South. So I met a lot of amazing people and majority of the people who are part of the Southeastern chapter of the New Black Panther Party are baby boomers like they old <laughs> and i was one of the younger ones and you know of course um i always make myself vocal make myself known but it's just the idea of coming together and talking about the love and the support of the community as well as honoring the ancestors as well as honoring those luminaries the black heroes that came before us and understanding the work that they did because it's so powerful and it's still revelant now to this day as well as pouring into into each other and pouring back so especially during the summertime we was riding around and we was getting it um we went to for sure Hazelhurst um and we were in Louisville the last couple missions I went to just because not only do we fight white supremacy, but we also uh, demonize black on black crime. And that's something you probably never even heard of. But a lot of black people are being shot by other black people. And, you know, you stand in the community and tell them, hey, this is wrong. And then you advocate for those people. A lot of people would not be receiving justice for their loved ones if it was not for the new Black Panther Party. And a lot of people need to learn to call up on them and lean up on them because that's what they're here for they're here to protect the black community because you we not protected at all so i remember when i first joined boy wasn't nobody excited for me except for me like i would be telling my friends i'd be like yeah i just joined a new black panther party and they just be looking at me upside my head like girl what the fuck oh I bitch you doing better you you doing better than me and i understand everybody does not have the type of i guess mindset that i have or the ability to step up and speak up but you know i feel like it's a very honorable position it's just because a lot of people have been in the school system for so long and they've been whitewashed so long that they believe that the black panther party as well as the new black panther party are degenerates or migrants they feel like they're just radical and they just kill people and they hate black people and that couldn't be further from the truth at all in fact, one of the first questions they asked me was, do you hate white people? And I told them no. And they told me there was an answer that they were looking for because they don't want nobody that's prejudiced against white people in that vicinity. They need somebody there to be able to understand um, the meaning of the work and understand the meaning of the struggle behind it and understand the, the work that we're doing, not to be focusing on how much they dislike white people. And that's something that I, I really loved about it. Anyway, um. I was the, I am currently the MOD, which is the Minister of Defense, which means that um, I'm over all defense um, protocol, my lagoon, be in the fields, doing exercises and trainings and stuff. And it's a, it's something great to do when there's nothing to do. So I'm very grateful as well for that experience too because you know everybody doesn't get to live out like their greatest fantasies but i did we was in the middle of the street with it and people love the black panthers specifically people love the black panthers who are women which are referred to as queens um i'm facebook famous in case y'all didn't know <laughs> and it's because um people the men 
over in Africa, over in um, different parts of Nigeria and Yoruba, Morocco. Them niggas love the queens. And let me tell you something, the queens love y'all too. They love the idea of a woman being able to stand up for their community and fight back. I think there was something that um, my ex really found attractive about me too. He was like, yeah, this one got a little Martin Malcolm X up in them. I'm like, I know this, right? But that's just me. That's my advocacy. I put my body on the line for black people. There was a time this year I was so depressed. The only time I get out the bed was for black people. They like, Morgan, come on, you finna drive. Where we finna go? We finna go X. We finna go Y. We finna go Z. Go put your clothes on and let's go. And that's exactly what I did. So, again, grateful for the opportunity. Learned so much about my community as well as the history about the new Black Panther Party that correlates to the original Black Panther Party. Um, I'm trying to get a few of them to come on my podcast. Hopefully they hear this and feel inspired to come and tell their stories because the queens in the new Black Panther Party, they they got some wild ass stories, like the stuff that they have went through, the things that they've seen, the shootouts, like this shit is, is lit, you know? And I love the fact that we will go to different cities and impact the cities. Like people love seeing the new Black Panther Party. When I was in Jackson, they took, man, when I was in Louisville, them folks, all their kids was taking pictures with me all over the news, just everything. And it was great because we're something to look up to, something to be proud of. And hopefully people feel safe when they get around me and they love me. And it's not because they love me, but they love the version of themselves that they see in me. You know, that's really what I truly want. And I do want to encourage some of y'all who feel, um, who feel the need to, who feel called to step up and to do the work, um, to struggle. I love the concept of struggling. I know that uh, many of our Black heroes and luminaries, like Asada Shakur and um, Angela Davis, the word, well, believe in the struggle. Ashada's name, Asada Shakur, Asada means she who struggles. And this narrative of believing that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, the struggle will continue and never end. So instead of demonizing the struggle, learning to embrace the struggle and um, work within it and to uplift those who are struggling. And that's something I just find so poetic and beautiful. Now let's focus on this podcast because this podcast was, um, it took time in the making. So I'm going to take y'all through the entire way how I came up with this podcast. So during 2020, when I was president for Ideal Woman, uh, we could not meet in person. Remember I told you COVID had just started and we were placed under a lot of restrictions. I could not get my, cause we let in a lot of women. And I could not get them all into one room six feet apart. So one day I was smoking some Kush with Remy. Shout out to Big Grim. And I was just sitting up there thinking. And it's like, it just hit me like a pound of bricks in my head. Like, you need to do a podcast. How much, 
how much more sense would that make? Like you can't meet them, but the message needs to be reached and they need to be able to hear what has been said. And it just made sense to me. So what we did was we revised our we revised our work for our general body meetings and we turned them into podcast episodes. And I might add that I I love the idea of doing the podcast for our general body meeting. My executive board was so diverse. They had their own mindset. They had their own way of thinking. They were pretty funny. They was hip to a lot of stuff and it worked. So what we would do was is we would come up with like a, my vice president would come up with topics and turn it into like a lecture. We would invite different speakers to come sit down and talk to us. And during that time, we didn't have no laptop. So we was recording off of a cell phone and we would send it to uh, Noe Lani's brother. Shout out to you, Noe Lani, and to your brother for um, he would edit it for us free of charge and we would get it back and we would send it to our general body members and that is how we did it so i developed a love for podcasting during 2020 just because uh i have a lot to say (laughs) i have a lot to say and i just enjoyed it it's very peaceful to be able to get on a microphone and just talk and people are intentionally listening to you versus um what I was doing because during the lockdown and everything I became was when I became for real pro-black like I really I was I was a year into my history program and people was dying and I was reading a lot of books and we were at home and we were understanding what was going on around us that was the first real awakening for a lot of us and this is where we came up with a lot of philosophies like we me and my sister decided to stop eating at certain places like I you know for a long time I stopped eating at Wendy's because this boy in Atlanta got shot out at Wendy's and they called police on him and had him murdered for eating a burger in the parking lot of Wendy's or Chick-fil-A with they fucking racist and homophobic ass. We don't give no money for Chick-fil-A whatsoever. Starbucks gonna call the police and get all black people arrested. So that is what I was constantly saying and preaching to my co-workers up there at the Boys and Girls Club. They got tired of hearing me because that's all I talked about. That's the only thing that would come out of me because that was the only thing I was feeding myself. And I'm not ashamed of it because whatever is inside of you is going to come out. So my rhetoric was always going to be me preaching what was right, what was wrong, what was the best way to help uplift and build the community because those are my personal mission statements. Those are my personal values. So what was in me was coming out. Um, So after the year of my presidency um, ended, I told myself that I wanted to be a normal student. And I don't know why I did that because there's nothing normal about me, but I had probably the worst year. My The last year of my college experience was really mundane, very boring. I was very sad because I wasn't interactive. But I got into a relationship um, in December. Then we broke up. Then I got into another relationship in January. And... um. I don't know. I live, I met the what I would consider the love of my life at that time, and we dated for um, a long period. 
So towards the end of our relationship, I was telling him about how I really wanted to start my own podcast. Like there was something that I really wanted for me personally. And, but I had no clue what the fuck I was going to talk about. And funnily enough, I would also be telling my friends at the time that I wanted to start a podcast and everybody wanted to do a podcast with me or they wanted to do a YouTube channel with me. But anybody who knows me knows that I need to be working by myself. Um, And that was the truth. So I was telling him we would sit down, we would brainstorm and um, I couldn't come up with nothing. So like I told y'all previous episodes ago, in july um this nigga he just dumped me just out the middle of the blue and broke my heart but so many blessings came out of it because if he had never did that we would not be sitting here today if i'm just gonna be honest with you um after we broke up I purged, I cried, I threw up, I had hissy fits, I had nightmares, and I just got all the anger from up out of me. And I realized that I was pouring so much into my own relationship. I was pouring out of an empty cup. I needed to be pouring back into myself. So I decided that it was time for me to start working on something for myself. So there was a podcast, but a bitch still did not know what she was going to talk about. So (laughs) one day I had went over to Toot House. Shout out to you, Ramar. I got an episode with Toot Ramar, um, the uh, mental health episode. And, you know, I love Toot. One day me and Toot was smoking on a reefer and... It, and he was telling me about a series of TikTok videos where he learned of this word called Afrocentricity. And it just fucking hit me. I was like, too, you never heard that word before? And he was like, no. I said, too, being Afrocentric is the ability to look at the world through a black perspective from ancient Kemet and then base it based off of those standards. And I had the ability to fully explain to him what Afrocentricity was versus Eurocentricity. And it just hit me like a bag of bricks. Bitch, this is what you need to be fucking talking about. And it just made so much sense because Afrocentricity and being Afrocentric, number one, is a niche, but it is a very broad niche. Um And you can cover so many things as long as you're looking at life through an Afrocentric perspective. And I I love the idea because being Afrocentric was something that I had been practicing for at least, if it was 20, yeah, if for at least five years at that point where I had completely gotten rid of the idea of looking at my life through a Eurocentric gaze or trying to whitewash myself, trying to code switch and just trying to be the most authentic version of myself as well as to encourage people to try to do the same thing and to relook at the way that you look at life and look at yourself and look at black people. So it just made so much sense to me. So I definitely a credit to for that opportunity 
because without two, I would not be here to this day. And I didn't even tell him that day I was sitting up there laying in his bed. We was probably watching YouTube videos. I didn't even tell him that I took that much away from that damn conversation, but I did. And I went home and I just wrote just because I didn't have nothing else to do. I didn't, I ain't have no man. I had just lost my job. My internship had just ended and I was waiting for myself to start grad school um, in August. So those first two months, July, I wrote everything out and I hit up DJ. Shout out to you, to the OJ, OG DJ Calhoun. And I'm like, I want to start a podcast. Will you help me um, create an intro? Will you help me create transitional slides? And I just started sending him sounds and he figured it out and he put it together. Then I reached out to Trinity Tub. Shout out to you, Trinity. That's my cousin. She helped me come up with the visuals that you see on my page that really reflect me. And um, it came together so well, did it not? We here now. And it's been six months and I've broken all the goals that I set for my podcast. Um, we can pay for the podcast now. We, you know, the podcast is shared globally, top 15% shared podcast in my field. I have over 94% more recordings than any other person in my field. And my podcast is listed as a how-to because it's how to become more Afrocentric, how to become a better Black person. And it's also listed under education because I'm teaching Black people their history. I'm teaching Black people different ways to be able to look at life. And I'm teaching Black people, like, I just, I teach. That's what I do. And it kind of just worked out so perfectly. And, you know, shout out to my ex. Shout out to you, Big Dizzle. You know, if you hadn't never broke my heart, we would not be sitting here today. So shout out to you, Daddy. I just, I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm happy to be here um, along the way. My friends support me for the most part. You know, um, my best friend, Abriana Jones. Uh, what's her new last name? Abriana Jones Harvard. She, she's traveling the world. Um, I, my best friend, I met her in in a history class, in a, a Holocaust history class, and she was the only other black girl I had ever seen in my major. And we were the same age. She's a year older than me. We looked the same. We was the same size and build. And she was one of the first people I truly considered to be just as smart as me, if not smarter. And it just kind of clicked and she got married this year and her husband, Chris Harvard, he had his own podcast. So when I was telling him about this idea, they were telling me that they were going to help me and they have, they bought me my first for real mic. So shout out to Chris, shout out to Bree, shout out to their family because their family support me so well. And I love y'all so much. And again, just gratitude. I'm just grateful for everything. I'm grateful for the things that I lost I'm grateful for the things that I've gained. I'm grateful for the things that are coming my way that are beautiful and peaceful and blissful. 
and I'm grateful for the people that I have now because, you know, um, the podcast is only going to get bigger. And this is the only thing that I talk about now is um, podcast and coming up with different ways to promote it. Um, I Because a year ago, I definitely prayed to God and I asked him, I was like, God, I really want a way to be able to make money just by running my mouth. So this is it. And the foundation has already been established, as I've already said to y'all before. And hopefully this is a gift that will continue giving a great way to be able to create passive income. And I also feel like I'm inspiring a lot of people within my city, within my community to start their own podcast. Because I know a lot of people are like, if Morgan can do it, then I can do it. And, you know, if you feel that way, do it. But you'll never freak it the way I freak it. So, you know, fuck it up if you got to fuck it up. You mad because I said no name rang louder than mine. That's what tipped you off, bitch. It's the truth, though, ain't it? It's the truth, though, ain't it? Don't no name ring hotter than mine. I don't give a fuck who don't like it, nigga. I told you, if you want the title, you got to come take it. You can't hate it away. I also just wanted to give y'all a little bit more clarity about my podcast while I got you here. So, um, at first, I was really scared to put my voice on the internet like this. Uh, so I started off doing an interview podcast because that is what's more common. But the more and more that I've started podcasting, the more comfortable I feel sitting behind a mic and really just sharing my thoughts and my creativity. So for those who really like hearing my voice alone, solo podcasting, you can check out my freestyle. So this will be my eighth freestyle. So I have eight separate um episodes where it's just me talking about topics from off the top of my head that's why I call it a freestyle because I'm really kind of I'm doing it very loosely I don't really have a tight script this is me talking off the top of my dome and making sure that like you know you guys can have a feeling of who I am and how I think by myself and then for those who don't want to just hear me all day and get bored of hearing me I do also do interviews and I love doing interviews with people because I, I match energy and I bounce off the walls a lot so if you want to hear me advocating those are my regular episodes by myself and I think that they're really catchy and I love the fact that I have the ability to be able to advocate for these niche groups that you know that don't get support like the episode I just did Morgan Gray's Big Black Bottom um I did it as a transgender advocacy episode or the episode I just published with this episode uh Afrocentric After Dark is advocacy for black women um who to be sexually liberated so not only do I get the opportunity to advocate I also get the opportunity to teach and it's something that I will be doing moving into 2023 because we have Black History Month coming up and I plan on teaching the entire month about different aspects of the African diaspora and that's something that I'm so excited about um for those who do not know I am certified to teach I got my G1 certification from Mississippi State University let me see what it's called yeah um graduate teaching assistant classroom certification I got that in August I also have my CIT program course to be able to do human research and curriculum groups and um doing research upon human subjects 
So I also, for a living, I do uh, research studies with Mississippi State University, trying to get an understanding of how people and different environments um, look at the world. So there's a large part of history is doing research. Um, I also have my health and safety training, youth mental health um, training from the Alliance Project. I'm also certified in Title V to be able to teach um, abstinence and yeah and i've also had internships i did an internship this year at the very beginning of this year with one voice and i worked on the ecli project which essentially was a project to help under parvish communities in the state of mississippi focusing on hines county that's the jackson area as well as the delta to make sure that they have adequate enough information about their bills especially like with the electric company because those companies would try to fuck people over and take their money and black communities do not know what they need or the resources to be able to find it um so yeah i also have a lot of teaching experience i was teaching at the undergrad level at Mississippi State. Shout out to Bria Young. I have an episode with her. Um, and it's called something about keeping up with the Caucasians. It's a great episode. But she gave me my first few opportunities to be able to teach in front of a large student body. And it's because my professors see something in me. A lot of my professors would ask me if I want to teach the class and I would tell them like I only teach that class if they paid me just because oftentimes I would get in those environments and know every single thing that they were getting ready to teach. So I, I've i had a lot of teaching experiences, guest speaker experiences, facilitating experiences. I've won a lot of awards. So the podcast is for y'all. It's not for me. I know all of this information, but I be talking to the Negroes of the black community and I just be learning that y'all don't know it. And I can only talk to one person at a time. So this just seemed like a great way to be able to teach people and get them riled up. I think that the way that I teach is very entertaining just because I'm not wrapped up in respectability politics. I'm not, I think when people first heard that I was doing a podcast, they were scared that everything was going to be politically correct and just boring and shit. I'm not like that. And that's something that's reflecting in my teaching. I don't feel like people need to be politically correct to be able to learn. I think the information needs to be interesting so that people can feel compelled to learn. And um, I feel like that is a great way to be able to do a podcast because you know majority of my cohorts are just as smart as i am if not smarter come on but they don't have that experience with um people skills they socially awkward i think a lot of white people in the history department got asperger's they super smart but they don't have no social skills and i'm the complete opposite i'm extremely smart Plus, I have social skills. Plus, I have leadership skills. And, you know, this is just my area of expertise. So it kind of just makes sense for me. Um, there is a big difference between blackwashing and Afrocentricity. Blackwashing is basically when certain groups of people try to say that everything was created by black people or that many significant figures throughout history have been only black people. For example, people say stuff like Mozart was a black man or books like the Negro Rulers of Scotland. Those are examples of people just trying to blackwash everything. 
and not giving any reliable sources that back up that claim. Whereas Afrocentricity is where you're looking at history from a genuine African perspective. This is in the book of Encyclopedia of African American History. It defines Afrocentricity as an intellectual concept and theoretical approach that argues for an understanding and study of the world and phenomenon from the perspective of the people of Africa and the African diaspora. Shout out to the slaves. Yeah, shout out to the slaves. You feel me? Shout out to Harriet Tubman. That shout was out to the real niggas. Shout out to the real niggas. And shout out again to all those people who hate my guts. Y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world. Keep breaking these men down one at a time. You are obsessed and sick. We are back with the big black shout out, the blackest shout out in the world. And today I have one person that I'd like to shout out today. And that is going to be Miss Tanera Stuttlefield. Yes, um, she is a Herbal Life independent distributor and she lives in Dallas, Texas, but she serves people all over. In fact, most of her clientele lives in Mississippi. She truly believes that health is wealth and in the meantime and in between time of learning and living healthy habits, she helps others do the same. In fact, she says she does this for her daddy and I love that for you, girl. So if you would like to purchase some herbal life, you make sure you hit up T. You can follow her on Instagram at physique by T, that is P-H-Y-S-I-Q-U-E period by B-Y-T-E-E. And you can find her on Facebook at Tanera Stubblefield, T-E-N-I-R-A-S-T-U-B-B-L-E-F-I-E-L-D. Shout out to T, that's my homegirl. I love her. Um, if your throat scratchy because you've been sucking dick all afternoon, I suggest you get you some Herbalife. I would suggest that. And I love that for you and for her both together. Y'all, this is teamwork. And it's going to make the dream work. So if you have a Black-owned business or you know of a Black-owned business and you want to promote, you want the audience, I got the members. So how about you hop in the hoop and you go ahead and you email me at the Afrocentric Podcast. That's afrocentricpodcast at gmail.com. Please forgive me for any sins in which I committed. Those I know of and those I don't know, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for beating this bitch ass today, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for thinking about beating her ass again, Lord. Please rebuke all these demons that's in this house, Lord. I pray Is that to really you, necessary? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, saints. I just wanted to usher the spirit in and welcome you back for the final segment of the Any Podcast episode. Uh-huh. We leaning and praying and we in our prayer closet and we done pulled out our anointing oil. Yes, we have, and I'm just here to let my people know that I'm here, and I'm yet praying and hoping and fasting and venerating and releasing. I'm laying hands and I'm touching and agreeing on y'all behalf. Um, we praying today. We praying for real today. Right now, we praying for uh, Buffalo, New York. The day is covered under the snow. And that governor 
don't care. They had a whole week to prepare before the snowstorm. The death told and surpassed 30, and it's just cold up there, Lord. Lord, send winter jackets, Lord. Send, send the army, Jesus. Send the National Guard, Lord. Send anybody you can send down there to help defrost them and do wellness chicks all up in through New York, Lord. Amen. Um, we are also praying for the Alabama State Penitentiary. They are flooded. Yes, Lord. We is praying for all the good inmates and the bad ones down in Alabama because they still human too, Lord. They cold and they wet, Lord. Jesus, be a blanket. Be a blanket, Lord. Protect them everywhere they go, Jesus. Send somebody down there to help them because they don't deserve that just because the people don't want to help us, you know. And we also praying for Atlanta. Um... The scammers can't scam no more because all the equipment is wet and underwater, Lord. They also drowning too. All the pipes busting, Lord. We don't know. We don't know which way to go, Lord. Um. So, yes, we just here and we hope that the situations and the conditions get better. But might I ask, Jesus, if you on your way down here, you make sure you come see about me. Mm-hmm. You stop here because I ain't going to make it through no rapture. You make sure you come and pick me up. Amen. Amen. to listen to me to listen to my background as well as my advocacy stories and all the things I've gotten into within the last I guess decade of my life um I definitely feel like I've lived several lives in one and I feel like the people who know me can see that but thank you thank you for choosing to be Afrocentric today Please remember that Black Lives Matter. Listen and protect Black women and children. And remember the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is be Black and die. And here at the Afrocentric Podcast, we're just civilized people having civilized conversations. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
know, the thing is, a lot of time when people get shows, they's like, oh, well, it's my show, and I'm on this network. It's up to the network to to promote it. I'm an ex-drug dealer. I'm going to promote my own shit. Because mm-hmm. at the end, nobody believe in your shit like you do. Yeah, they got the dollars to put you here and there. I had a PR person from day one, and I was like, bitch, let's get it. Mm-hmm. And we still getting it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still rocking. I don't stop promoting the second. This is the second season of Miss Pat Show. The third season come out sometime at the top of the year. You will see me talking about this show till we drop the third season. And it's over and over till they shut the doors on this bitch. That's right. Because in, this is my fucking, this is what I worked five years to get. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'm, I ain't going to let a motherfucker do not know about it. 